Today on Not Cleared, Morgan and I talked to Mike Waller, who is the Senior Analyst for Strategy at the Center, and we talked to him about subversion, which is the undermining of the power and authority of an established system or government or regime or state, usually with the end goal of overthrowing that regime. Mike gives us some real-life examples of this happening in the past or how it's happening now, specifically with relation to the 2016 Russian collusion narrative, and Mike also explains how, if he were subverting a regime such as the Iranian regime, how he would go about doing that. It's a really fun episode. We get into Ted Lasso and Lord of the Rings and Harry Potter and how subversion, honestly, if you look anywhere in the world, you can see it happening in one way or another. I'm Matt Franklin. And I'm Morgan Worthlin, and today we're talking to Mike Waller, who is the director of strategy. What we call him is the d- director of defense against the dark arts, which is a Harry Potter reference. But the dark arts include subversion, espionage, what else? Psychological warfare. Plenty of that. Yes, all of yeah. those things. Yeah. So today Messing we're t- with people's heads. Yeah, and today we're talking about subversion what it is, why it matters, and how to do it, Um, or theoretically how to do it at least. So Mike, tell us what subversion is. Subversion is really something we all do as individuals, but we don't really think about it, and we do it one way or another on a person-to-person basis. But as a term of dark art, subversion (laughs) is a process of undermining the values, the morale, the identity, the self-identity, the, the will to survive or will to resist of a target group. Or country. Or country or organization. You, you, you break down their belief system. You cause them to embrace things that they were always opposed to. You, you cause them to, to uh, lose the will to resist the onslaught that they might even know is against them. And that does what? That allows you to break them up and conquer them. So how is it used by other countries in warfare? It's a cheap way to destroy your opponent without having a military retaliation waged against you. You can get away with it, especially if you do it well, but you don't have to do it particularly well. It's a question of um, once you can get, whether it's a person, think about high schoolers, and you get a person who has, say, self-esteem issues or might be vulnerable to that, and you get this person to go from the most popular person in the class Mm -hmm. to the one who feels like the biggest loser, and everybody else thinks that person's a loser, even though nothing's changed. That's subversion. This is the plot of the movie Mean Girls, which I like that that's your citation. (laughs) I I have three daughters, so I'm familiar with the movie, but but I can't recite it. It is a really good example of subversion where... They figure out how Regina George is popular, why she's popular, and then they attack each one. And then the whole it's like a, a chair that you saw the legs off of, and then it just collapses at a certain point. Right. So they, they identify someone who's popular, that they're jealous of or envious of mm-hmm. or something. And you can't you know, slash her tires or you can't you know, burn down her house, but you can make her fat or, or unpopular or right. think poorly about herself and end up becoming a loser or feeling like a loser or being an outcast. Well, even if you did slash her tires, it wouldn't change that she's popular. It wouldn't change that people listen to her and she has authority. So it's really undermining someone and discrediting them. So in a way that's more effective than just fighting them. Right. I mean, if you slashed her tires, she'd have sympathy for that. People Mm -hmm. would feel sorry and they'd want justice for it. So that would make her even cooler, even stronger or physically assaulted her or did something. But if you just demeaned her constantly, you know, so look, you've got a you've got a zit. You know, look at how ugly you are. Look how look how much weight you've put on. You know, what's wrong with you? What's wrong with her? Doesn't she smell? You know, all these other types of things. Not necessarily in the Mean Girls plot, but just standard teenage stuff. That is subversion. Think if if that's employed by our state or a regime or an, an intelligence service. That's a powerful weapon. And it's it's legal. So because when you brought up slashing tires or burning someone's house down, obviously that is illegal but subversion it's usually done i guess it sort of has a negative connotation with it but it is legal 
which is the tricky thing because usually it's you do have kind of mischievous goals when you're subverting someone, right? Oh, that's right, Matt. This is protected speech in the United States, right? So it's a First Amendment. Uh, it's a, if if it's an opinion, you can't be arrested for expressing an opinion. If it's a fact, you can't be arrested for stating a fact. So if it's person to person, I mean that's just our own relationship. But if it's going after our system to undermine our identity as a country, our belief in say what America is, our belief in the you know what were universal to be an American, the flag, the national anthem, uh, the founding fathers. American founding principles. Imagine if a foreign power was able to subvert our society to get us to stop believing in those things and actually think that they're evil and they need to be resisted. Then they do, if that were successful, then we would probably do the things that they want us to without having to use force, which is expensive and can backfire because you might lose. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You might end up being destroyed yourself Mm -hmm. or be put in such a position where you, you... end up collapsing your own system right so one example that i thought of was harry potter um the fifth book voldemort comes back at the end of the fourth book but harry is the only one that sees it that lives besides the death eaters which are the followers of voldemort matt is loving this because he loves harry potter he's the biggest fan um he's not anyway instead he's trying of, not to look at you right i now, know so he, yeah. <laughs> instead of voldemort just alerting everyone that he's back and he's going to rule the entire world they take over the wizard government the ministry of magic and they cast a spell on this sounds so dumb they cast a spell on the minister of magic that makes him do everything they want and say everything he wants which kind of is like what is happening with biden um but actually on that note there's a really good article that mike wrote at american greatness what's it called Oh, the two Joes? Yes. The, yeah. So we'll we'll link it. In case you didn't know, we haven't said this before, but all of the things we mention in the show will be linked, and you can find all of that at notcleared.org. Anyway, the only other wizard that Voldemort fears is Dumbledore, and so Dumbledore tries to tell people that Voldemort's back, and he's discredited. He's as, the good wizard. Yes, the good guy. See, even I know that. Yeah, yeah, he's discredited as old and crazy, and Harry is crazy, and so nobody believes it, and they control the entire government and discredit the opponent and make it so that there is no resistance, whereas if Voldemort had just come out and said he was back, people would be afraid, and they would try and fight him. Right. So the object there was Dumbledore can't take over unless right. people stop believing in the goodness of the wizards. Right. Or that Which he itself was... is a kind of subversion in, in Judeo-Christian culture to actually believe in wizards and magic. That's undermining of Judeo-Christian culture, but that's a separate thing entirely. <laughs> Let's presume just for the sake of the entertainment value of Harry Potter. Would Tolkien agree with that, wizard. though? Because there's a wizard, right? I don't know Lord of the Rings. Well, Tolkien, anyway. Tolkien was a Christian allegory the whole time. Right. But you had f- good fighting evil and... Mm-hmm. and so it's, it's, you can this ask me more about Tolkien issue. later. Yeah. <laughs> but you have the same thing in Tolkien with subversion. There's a right. lot of subversion. Right. Okay, Matt. Is, is subversion ever positive or is it always kind of done with malevolent goals? Yeah. Can you, is end? it wrong? Is there ever a case where it's morally right to be subversive? Oh, I think so. But it's in the eye of the beholder. What's subversive to me might be positive for you, Morgan. You know, I, I'm, promoting something to undermine your beliefs, undermine your self-confidence, undermine your will. So if but it's the I intent? might have nefarious reasons to subvert you because I see you becoming, say, a successful policy person or you're, you're representing a, a, a cause that to me is dangerous. Therefore, to you, I'm a dangerous subversive. However, you would be subverting me and my team because you can't escalate this in a non-kinetic way very easily. So that's that's what's called counter-subversion in American statecraft, or it used to be when we did such a thing. Yeah, I don't think we do that anymore. No, we don't. We used to have a system for it. Well, I mean, like, if we were to subvert China, you could say it's an evil communist country with people in concentration camps, so there's it's kind of like lying about hiding Jews. That would was moral because it would die otherwise so it's but is it because the nature of it is so manipulative is it just 
your reason for doing it? Oh, sure. I mean, the Churchill was faced with this in World War II. You had, uh, uh, you could either destroy entire German cities full of innocent civilians. Mm-hmm. Remember, at that time, the cities were mostly built of wood across Europe and Japan. So you just set fire to these cities and you can defeat the enemy that way. Or you can use subversion and you can only get the really, really bad guys and you cause elements of the system to collapse and you try to get people inside the Third Reich who hate Hitler. A lot of the senior military within Germany thought Hitler was a dangerous person, but they were working within their traditional system of leadership and command and control. But so the British would would help plots against Hitler and his allies. The British used subversion to undermine German morale. So rather than simply uh, building submarine to fight German submarine and anti-submarine ships to fight German submarines, they would go in and send in saboteurs to take down the transformers and generators that powered the shipyards that built the submarines. That is not really subversion in itself, but there was a subversive aspect to it because it had a demoralizing effect on the German Navy and the shipbuilding industry. So it could be an attractive option to a country or state that doesn't have the biggest, baddest military if they wanted to, or they know they can't compete with the United States militarily. So they would maybe subvert the United States, which just seems a lot more cost-effective and you don't need to have a bunch of ships and missiles and guns to do it. Oh, and it's easy to do, especially if you're simply throwing around money to pay influencers in the country being subverted. Look at here in Washington, D.C. It's just full of people on the pay of hostile foreign regimes and movements and organizations, and they're acting as agents of influence to subvert how we think and how we believe in ourselves. Is this something that anyone in the United States government is trained on combating? Uh, not so much anymore. It's, it's more, we tend to mirror image, so rather than go fight, like right after 9-11, okay, so we had a whole campaign to go after the jihadis. And then we were told by, you know, looking for, quote, moderate Muslims, because Muslims in America weren't organized back then. But the ones, who, the few who were, were all mainly organized through a network called the Muslim Brotherhood, which had the same end game as Al-Qaeda, which is to uh, put the whole world under fundamentalist Islamic law, Sharia law, which meant overthrowing our constitution. But they were a small group, but they were well-organized, well-trained, and very loud. So they assumed the identity of all Muslims in America. Well, when they got close to President Bush, and President Bush welcomed them as really the only Muslim organized voice in America to speak of, the other Muslims saw the President of the United States with this soft jihad group, and they thought, well, we're not going to say anything because we see the decks are stacked against us. So that immediately subverted us as Americans on being able to speak out against the threat and identify an enemy as an enemy identify friend from foe and then to pretend that certain enemies were really not enemies after all and to maybe think maybe we're wrong because we're such a hateful bigoted country against muslim people that maybe we don't deserve to win and let's adapt our norms to this persecuted minority which it was that became the narrative and accommodate ourselves to them And that became so prominent that, you know, you have the New York Times, people just would say it like, oh, the real tragedy here is that the backlash against Muslims that wouldn't happen, but also the tragedy was always the people that were killed in some kind of attack, not, but people just reflexively started saying that becomes, which is so much more powerful than physical violence, I would say. Because people are exercising self-censorship now, Mm -hmm. and it's not self-censorship to say, to, to stop so-called hate speech. It wasn't hate speech. It was trying to find answers and who can we, who can be reached out to in the Muslim communities in America? Well, they were silent. They were silent because they were afraid, not afraid of a backlash against all Muslims, but a backlash against jihadis. But since you couldn't say jihadis without being labeled a racist or bigot because that's what the Muslim Brotherhood groups and the, the Karl Roves of the world around then then uh, the political council for then president george w bush made it impermissible to use real words to define real problem elements and then to tar any critic with a broad brush mm-hmm. so basically you 
look at a country or an, an opponent and you figure out what makes them strong and then you go about attacking those things individually. Is that a good summary? Yeah. Okay. And then you kind of hope that at least the Muslim Brotherhood example made me think that the subversion kind of metastasized and eventually you have all these other consequences of it, other Muslims being afraid to speak up, whether or not that was the initial goal of the Muslim Brotherhood. There's a bunch of these side effects that happen from this initial subversion. Yeah, exactly. Because we were working with those other Muslims at the Center for Security Policy. Other groups, uh, Muslim groups, three different Muslim organizations and networks who were small compared to the Muslim Brotherhood, but they represented a much larger swath of the Muslim population. Because again, it's not like uh, Islam is not integrated the way broad-based movements are integrated. Mm -hmm. They're very localized or very vertical among certain sects. So you can't have anyone claim to speak for all or even most. Right. But the Muslim Brotherhood people were, and they spoke excellent English, and they were glib, and they were actually likable. I knew a bunch of these guys. They wore suits. They looked very American. Right. Yeah. Right. I knew one of them. He was a really friendly guy. He's uh, Then he got sentenced to 23 years in prison for terrorism <laughs> financing. He actually came to our office once. Not hard to figure <laughs> out who that is. Yeah. And so, so he was a jihadist, but he was the main one out there recruiting others to become the spokesman in the United States to say, you can't say jihad. That's bigoted. You're, that's insensitive. And then we all do it at the time. This is a bunch of BS. But when the president of the United States is saying we can't talk that way, and he's instructing his own people not to talk that way, then they start marginalizing those who do talk that way. You can't tell the truth anymore. Which was very creative because it, it played on an inherent, I think, insecurity that we have as a culture. And you see that with race now where people don't want to be racist it's the worst thing you could say or bigoted or whatever we have pride in being a tolerant before that word was (laughs) um abused free society and so people all it took is saying hey you're coming off as racist and bigoted and people oh i don't ever want to be that so okay i'll adopt your language and that's kind of subversion too because we didn't really have that knee-jerk recoil to be oh you're calling me racist i'm gonna you know show you how non-racist i am we kind of people bend over backwards to say how unracist they are and it's a subversion of everything because then it makes you lose your own self-worth but if it and and then the the values of your country well you were founded by slave owners and and the constitution and this five to three and all those other things that are all mixed in and jumbled up and most people don't even understand what they're saying but it's all racist the founding of our country was racist even abraham lincoln was a racist therefore our country has no value so you having generations of people believing nothing in our history is worth defending which get, then gets to a politician coming along with a fresh face who was trained by real subversive operatives coming along and say, I'm going to come in and fundamentally transform America. Mm-hmm. But the point is that if racism was, um, if we were truly a fundamentally racist country, no one would care if they were called being called a racist. But because we are not, it's an effective criticism i mean it's gotten to be more so and i think it's becoming meaningless because if everything's racist then nothing is racist exactly it will outlive its usefulness as a pejorative right it has served a purpose to force through an agenda to make people simply comply mindlessly now think of it preach tolerance okay well i'm tolerant i don't really like that point of view or like i don't like that agenda but i'm tolerant because this is america and we tolerate different points of view and then once you tolerate and once society tolerates the intolerable, then it's to become accommodating to the intolerable. Mm-hmm. Then it, it's not enough to accommodate now. Now you have to accept it. Right. You, all right, all right, I accept it. No, it's not enough to accept it or else you're really a bigot and a racist. You have to embrace it and affirm it. So you have this, you can see over the past 20, 25 years, this, right. this, this uh, different steps all the way up to affirmation. And now if you're not affirming you are therefore a racist well not even affirming so before it was okay you don't have to say it; you just have to tolerate it and then no you actually have to say it you have to support black lives matter if you don't support black lives matter you will be canceled and then literally bending an actual knee yeah yeah and this was the jihadist tactic but far more uh, far more successful right and that the jihadists never really took over the nfl and the whole 
American sports industry and American popular culture the way some of these other radicals have. Right. And just going back to the whole discussion on racism and how I said earlier that subversion has all these other consequences that no one's talking about. I mean, I get emails from Lyft and Uber saying like during the Black Lives Matter movement that they stand with that and when the abortion bill in Texas is going on. And it's like these things, if you told that to someone five years ago, they would have said you were insane. Right. Because it is insane. But now these companies have been subverted into thinking that they have to take a stand on all this stuff. And if they don't take a stand on it, then that just means that you're okay with it. Then black lives don't matter if Uber doesn't send every person that's used their service an email about it. Right. Yeah. Or all lives matter. You know, if you you say all lives matter, you're a hater. I mean, it, it just gets absurd. So, and it even doesn't matter what race you are. So this is part of it where we get so super sensitive about issues that, that are really not big issues. They're manufactured issues and it's a manufactured fear and hysteria that is tearing our society apart. So you have succeeded in subversion when you get the mass of people to start saying things that they don't really believe and then enforcing that non-belief on everyone else. Mm -hmm. That gives you wokeness culture. And from an outside perspective, even if it isn't, even if you don't have a specific goal, the chaos is enough because that weakens a country. Sure. And we haven't really discussed a whole lot about the foreign aspect of this. We did a little right. bit with the jihadis, but subversion was always a, a problem. George Washington had talked about this in his, wrote about it in his farewell address. Right, the foreign influence. The dangers of foreign influence and right. the impostures of pretended patriotism. Right. So the big concern back in the late 1700s was there were so many Americans who were still secretly loyal to the British Mm. and who wanted to turn America back to a set of British colonies, there was, a, there was a real deep concern that the British would able to buy and subvert their way back to take control of the United States of America. Right. And we'll, touch, we'll do another episode just about Soviet subversion because we have records of it. We can prove exactly what happened, which is unique. But that was their main focus. It wasn't James Bond-style spying. I mean, that was part of it, but not maybe 10%. And the rest was just subversion, and they were very, very good at that. So let's talk about 2016, the Russia Gate scandal. Can you explain that and how that was a brilliant move? That was a move in propaganda and disinformation. Right. To talk about subversion, there are aspects to it that had a subversive effect, but really that was uh, the, the. Well, actually, you know, it. it it could be the result of subversion. That's what I mean. Of the, our CIA and FBI, with because it had they those institutions had decayed so much in their professionalism over the years right. that they became political instruments instead of national resources. Well, so the the original thesis was that you know Trump had colluded with Russia. No one ever explained how, but it was you know he was basically some agent of Putin in some way. But if it's hard, and this became, this was the results of Clinton campaign information, but every single election since 1917, the Soviets and the Russians try to sow chaos and discord in our elections to distrust, to make us distrust our institutions and to create chaos. That's always the goal, right? Yeah, since about 1924 with a couple of breaks here and there. Right. So it's nothing new. It's something they've always done um, to varying, sometimes it's funny in how bad the effort is and sometimes it's effective. So whether or not this, I don't think it's hard to say exactly where this plan originated. Right. But if Putin had planned this out, it would, it would never, what actually ended up happening was far more effective than having a spy in the white house. Would you agree with that? Maybe not more effective, but the, the, the false collusion narrative, paralyzed the United States in its dealings with Russia, which even during its the worst U.S.-Soviet relations, U.S.-Russian relations, you could still talk to those officials without being branded a traitor. Mm-hmm. So the, the president, the vice president, the secretary of state, national security advisor, even during a presidential transition, it was normal for those people preparing to set up the next presidency to speak with the Russian ambassador or the Soviet ambassador 
as protocol, saying, hi, I'm the new national security advisor. I'm going to be handling day-to-day affairs with your government. I'd like to introduce myself and, you know, I want to keep an open line with you or just arrange to talk. We've got areas of concern. We might have areas where we can cooperate, let's say, against China or against the jihadis. Because don't forget that Putin was a big help to the United States in Afghanistan. He allowed us to use the Russian railroad system to deliver colossal amount of supplies from the Baltic Sea and Latvia across Russia and then south into Afghanistan uh, under under all the presidents well, during the war. Let's go back just to review exactly what happened. So we know now that the Clinton campaign paid for, they had, Russia was a weak spot for Clinton because of Skolkovo and other things that they had been doing with the Clinton Foundation. The secret business deals with Putin interests, yeah. Yeah. Yes. And also she had her private email server to hide the fact that she was benefiting through the Clinton Foundation from her post as secretary of state. So instead of using the government server, which would have been safe, she was using her own so that there wouldn't be in her FOIA requests. Yeah. And then they bleached it with classified information on it. Yes. They you know, used, it's a it's a felony what she did. Right. And they used bleach bit. And she smashed it with some hammers, thinking that the whole thing would go away. Well, WikiLeaks released these emails because, duh, it's not that hard to hack a server on a toilet in Colorado. And they knew that there were going to be vulnerabilities there. And I think that, well, we know that there were law firms hired to dig up dirt on Trump, which ended up, um, they just made it up, essentially. Mm -hmm. But if you're Russia... And you're Putin and you're sitting there, okay, let's screw with the election like we always do. And you see that there's a Clinton operator because also Putin wanted Clinton to win. They knew exactly how to manipulate her and she was a weak secretary of state. She was a known entity. Yeah. So they didn't want Trump to win um, despite his odd comments about Putin. But you would maybe like what extent do you think Russia played in manipulating that further? They threw gasoline on a fire that was already burning. Right. You'd have to expect any intelligence service to do any that. Any competent intelligence service. Yeah. So then... <laughs> Even a lot of incompetent ones. Yeah. A child can do that to get his way, right? But right. And somehow we can't. Understanding that it would cause division and chaos, and but probably never in his wildest dreams would it have been as effective as it actually was. Having a special counsel, making it so the president couldn't govern for three years, um, caught, raising that kind of suspicion all the peoples that all the people that had their careers ruined for just doing their job like mike flynn um oh and think also of the, the house of representatives servers that were run by these shady pakistani operatives who were apparently working with or for the russians and then the fbi saying that russian gru military intelligence was behind the hacking of the servers of the entire house of representatives these were pelosi's people that right. was mainly swept under the rug yeah nothing happened there but um, the point is, you can see that we are living in real time the damage that division and chaos that results from distrusting our institutions. Because right. now nobody knows, you know, the FBI had a sterling reputation, even among conservatives. Nobody trusts anything from the FBI or our intelligence agencies and the media because all of this, they were so susceptible to being manipulated in an embarrassing way for them. Um, that now we have half the country that believes one thing and half the country that believes another and doesn't trust anything. And you can see the damage that that has resulted. So it is chaos and um, distrust is extremely effective, whether or not that was actual goal. That's part of breaking national morale and breaking the will to resist and, and causing the target to stop believing in itself. Right. And that this, just the whole narrative of collusion was a, relatively small thing but once that seed was sown into the media and everything everyone just kind of latched onto it and the rest was history the russians didn't have to do much else once the ball was rolling down the hill right and then a, a target like donald trump is a is an interesting psychological profile for a subverter because he handled it so poorly that i mean i I could tell at the time it was disinformation. It was it was planted because the people raising it had been part of Russian subversion before. And like Hillary Clinton and her business deals as Secretary of State, selling 10%, what, 20% of our uranium production to right. the Russians while she's Secretary of State through all these cutouts. So all of a sudden she's worried about 
Russian subversion? No, she coined that or recoined that term. So the, so the messenger didn't make any sense. Right. And this is how you can tell what's subversion versus what's rhetoric. Okay, it, it's coming from a, the most unlikely of targets. And then we found out um, it was an FBI operation. Um, I forgot the name Operation of it. Ghost Stories. Ghost Stories, yeah. yeah. And the, that show, TV show, The Americans, was based on ghost stories. But one of those deep cover KGB <laughs> officers who was posing as an American citizen was actually in the process of borrowing into Hillary Clinton's inner circle. Yeah, and then FBI Director Mueller sent them all back to Russia with no recourse. While she was Secretary of State. Yeah, it was very odd. And it's the Secretary of State who negotiates the return of spies. This was a an interagency uh, program, to not program, but, but a project, to return these Russian spies to Russia without asking for anything serious in return. It was a very lopsided... And very quick trade, right. as you if would, they had something to hide. You would ask something for something in return, or you would just let the network run in without them knowing that you were onto them and see what they were doing. Right? That's right. You, what, if you know someone's borrowing into your inner circle, mm-hmm. you might allow them to do that, so you can then use them as a disinformation channel to subvert the right. ones who are trying you to would, subvert you. You would get a defensive briefing, which is another reason the Trump thing didn't make sense, because even if you thought someone like a carter page or whoever else was a problem what the fbi would do is is brief you and say hey we have this right this is the issue right which they did not do no but they did in cases like china for was example it carter there page? Was a, who was the spy i forget it's hard to keep track because sure. then, then what, you know, yeah, people whatever. who were who were unjustly accused and and so yeah. you know, carter page seems to be innocent of all of this but he was a casualty of it all but the thing is on this one donald trump handled it very poorly because he was so defensive that he was kind of acting like he had something to hide mm-hmm. rather than charging straight ahead and, and, and attacking the attackers and exposing why or demanding that they provide real proof, which they didn't. But the effectiveness of that whole operation was you had leaks uh, coming from the FBI and the CIA to the Washington Post. And you look at certain reporters at the Washington Post and you know their entire careers, they've just been transmission belts for inside classified information from FBI and CIA, mm-hmm. respectively. So some reporters only have CIA sources and so forth. So you can kind of vector in on all, all them, figure out who their sources are, and then I'm thinking on the outside, while these are interagency leaks, there must be something to it. Yeah, same. And so... We were muted in 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 uh, we muted ourselves in, right. in in trying to debunk the collusion narrative because we thought well this is coming from the FBI from foreign intelligence and counterintelligence right. and these other places Trump's acting weird about it maybe there's something to it so we just didn't know what to right think. so at that point the, our intelligence agencies were working with the media to further this narrative in some cases leaking classified information which is a felony against which is working subverting the american people now a lot of them the best you can say if it's your job as a professional especially counterintelligence professional to know what is disinformation what isn't at the very best most generous reading of it they were just complete morons that suck at their job or were they well that's the point is either they were nefariously doing it or they just are really really bad at their jobs neither of which is good news well, just think, the number two in the FBI was heavily involved in partisan politics, which the FBI would never have allowed before. And his wife was heavily involved in partisan politics. That would not have been allowed for an immediate first spouse to be doing that while you're in the top right. three or four tiers of the FBI. And then you had Peter Strzok, who was in charge of counterespionage, was part of this whole disinformation plan. So you're thinking, well, a person like him who's in charge of fighting Russian spies is making these accusations it can't all be false. Right. Turns out it was. Also, he was having an affair which would have gotten him fired because that's leverage that Russian spies that, could that use it, against him. That could be used to blackmail yeah. him because it was with a fellow FBI employee. Right. Both of whom were named originally to the Mueller yeah. team. And that opened them up to blackmail, which is exactly what the Russians would want. So the, now right. you have to suspect, was this just the erosion of professionalism in our FBI, which itself is subversive? Right. Because it subverts public confidence in the institution. Right. And the same with CIA. You have leaks coming out of CIA, but then you have the immediate former CIA director, Obama's CIA director, all of a sudden, John Brennan, 
being as partisan as anybody on this and then getting all of these other former intelligence officers to sign letters with a headline that didn't really tell the truth about what they had signed. So it was this itself a disinformation op within a disinformation op designed to subvert our belief in in a uh, in the legitimacy of a presidency right. with a collateral damage of subverting our comp- public confidence in our own intelligence and counterintelligence institutions mm-hmm. which we need to protect us right so iran how would what are what are the areas that give that country strength what are the institutions that matter and then how would we go about subverting them subverting if, the if we were regime. yes if we were in the u.s government so this is a a regime that's run by mullahs, so that's mm-hmm. Shiite radical Shiite clergy, mm-hmm. and uh, is run by them, and they have a sort of a nominal democracy, which really isn't a democracy. But the the people allowed to run for president are have to be approved by the supreme leader, the yeah. mullah of Iran. So regard, that means regardless of who wins uh, the election, it's okay with the supreme leader. Right. And we tend to view it: oh, the president of Iran is changing. This yeah. is a, okay. So you get all that. The the way to subvert that system is to subvert the supreme leader and the credibility of the supreme leader, which is already severely undermined by the Iranian people themselves. They hate the rulers. They hate the corruption of the regime. They hate the hypocrisy of the regime. So to highlight all of that is great, not so much to to help persuade the Iranian people as it is to cause the leadership of the, of the religious leadership of Iran to lose face among one another and to, to cause... Uh, divisions okay so exploited because it's not an actual democracy and the iranians already hate the supreme leader you're not trying to convince them it's the iran the supreme leader has power because of the other leaders and the irgc the supreme leader controls the military the nuclear weapons force Mm -hmm. the the revolutionary guard right irgc and the terrorists but if you took those the elected the elected president of iran doesn't control those right but if you took those things away from him if those people didn't believe in him then he has no power it's a little more complicated than that but those are his instruments but i mean who would be your audience to target because you wouldn't need to further discredit him with the iranian people because they already are on board yeah you know Uh, i would target their families and target uh, the next generation of who of iranian uh, regime leadership okay so like other mullahs yeah, so what, where this becomes uh, of interest, because a lot of societies have faced the same issue, is how popular culture itself is a subversive force, mm-hmm. because it, it appeals to the general rebelliousness of right. teenagers and young adults. So you go to Cutter or something, and you have people wear like... Well, Bikinis. So, yeah, yeah, or like they listen to American music and watch yeah. movies and... Right, and you, so you you do things there that subvert the rigid and you know, completely inflexible mores of that regime. So whether it's music, whether, you know, me with my kids, I think certain types of music are subversive. But the more <laughs> I would try to ban it, the more they would try to listen the more to trouble it. I was causing uh-huh. myself. Yeah, so what do you do on that stuff? So th- this is great in terms of statecraft because when you have regimes that are that way, then you just keep doing it. You make it you make the regime more unpopular by making the younger generation, which is being groomed to assume those roles in the future regime, you're making them hate it even more. Do they send their kids abroad? Because I know Kim Jong-un was sent to a boarding school in Sweden. So that's like you would be friends with him and, you know. Yeah, they do send their kids abroad, like the Chinese do a lot here in the United Mm. States. And that's been as much of a problem for the Chinese Communist Party as it has been a plus for the party because it allowed the party to... First, most Chinese students in the United States, this is from from mainland China, they're not just average smart students from average families. They're all children of Communist Party members. Right. And American universities love them because they all pay cash. Mm -hmm. So they're effectively subsidizing American students who very few of them pay everything in cash. This becomes a cash cow for the universities. Now, it's got many subversive effects against us because it affects curriculum. Mm-hmm. You don't have, you know, can you name a single China studies program at American universities where they show China to be the national security threat that it is? 
and and sh- and really show how the communist system is no. there and have a whole strategy to how to deal with China in a in America first national interest kind of way. No, you have professors here and there, but not at any large university. Well, if you so, can't, so if you can't reach the back to Iran, though, yeah. if you can't access the kids, or how would you try to? So let's say they are just love American TV and all those things. Then what? Bootleg, bootleg TV, bootleg music, everything. So if it can be got on the internet into Iran, great. If not, bring it in by any kind of electronic storage device that you can possibly find, including the old CDs and DVDs. Because uh-huh. there's a lot of those floating around Iran still. Okay, what else would you do? Uh, cultural values, big, big one. Meaning, uh, it doesn't have to be destructive, uh, decadent, you know, pagan type cultural values. It can simply be, let me express myself more. I don't want, I don't want the girls to cover their heads or faces. I don't think they should have to wear long sleeves all the time. And let's have short sleeves. Then you go from short sleeves to sleeveless, and then you go, you know, whatever they, whatever's fine with the wearer should be should be pushed to hey this is just self-expression and freedom used to be that way in iran under the shah they had freedom to dress as they wished so those types of things what's it going to do it's going to cause discord and distress in the homes of those rulers of the regime whether it's the town police chief or revolutionary guard commander or the supreme leader himself because his wife's like i don't want to go outside and a full burqa. I'm sick of this crap. My daughter's yeah. just sick of it. Or I'm sick of getting the grief from all the women and girls in the family. Knock it off. Lighten up. And then you're causing discord within the families. So you, Now you can see how this is destructive of entire family structures. But if you're using it as a weapon, you can see how it works. Sorry, Matt. So you start with these little breadcrumbs of giving them different music, exposing them to American artists, and then hoping that they latch onto that and then start kind of questioning the way that they've been living or the way that they've been told to live. And then as they latch on, you feed them more, you give them TV and different types of clothes and stuff. I guess that's why it's so easy or such a cheap weapon because you could, you could develop the kids as assets or try to, or you just keep doing, find all these little subversive ways and then just knowing that it would just cause discord and tension and chaos and then so you don't even have to have an explicit end where it's like yes they endorse the constitution you know it's just enough to right right and then you have some uh some leaders in repressive societies cannot stand certain images like xi jinping in china Winnie, Winnie the, the Pooh. Pooh. Yeah. He's scared of Winnie the Pooh. Which but, is hilarious if you think about it. Like so this why not? scary <laughs> dictator. Don't you dare show him Winnie the, because he looks like Winnie the Pooh. And so he's He sensitive. thinks he does or somebody thinks he does. And well, obviously just, he thinks he does because that's why he's sensitive to hysterical. it. So did Winnie the Pooh subvert Xi Jinping? It did. I mean, he doesn't allow any, like it's a serious offense, right? There was a great South Park episode about this. I don't watch South Park, but... So, okay, a good example. <laughs> it's to, pretty subversive humor in its a, own right. A good example to like screw with Xi Jinping. If he was like here in America for something, you could have a, um, a plane or something with like a Winnie the Pooh image fly over wherever he was going to be. We actually had a thing that we wanted to do when Xi Jinping uh, addressed the United Nations in New York. And we wanted to make a big, giant Mylar Winnie the Pooh balloon, 70 feet high, <laughs> towed behind a motorboat up and down the East River in front of behind the UN building. So it would be on camera? video that the whole time that because would be that really would have funny. stolen all the attention from his speech, even if he never saw and it. And also it would be the thing that would make him the most mad of anything, right? Yeah, and it would just... Here he was getting worldwide status and seeking even more of it. And, and now people are laughing at him while he's making his speech. Now, when I say we, I don't mean Center for Security Policy. This is right. a project on the side. These are the kinds of projects Mike likes to do. Um, okay, so Iran, what else would you do? No, well, in Iran, let's say, it's it's not even, uh, we don't have to give them music because they already love our music and they already have plenty of ways to get it anyway. But imagine these Iranian bands and Iranian comedians and Iranian Iranian actors and models who are only known inside Iran and in the diaspora, but they kind of don't mean a lot because they have no international stature. Mm-hmm. So let's give them some international stature. 
let's make them uh, heroes of their country. Let's make them known in every every place on earth. That would be a big deal to do. And then to magnify that back into those countries. So actually, the U.S. has done this in other places with uh, Radio Free Europe against the Soviet bloc, Radio Free Asia beamed into China, which is really not that effective as it might have been. Um, uh, Radio Marti into Cuba, broadcasting in a lot of band messages, uh, personalities, uh, drama, entertainment, mm-hmm. other media, and then a lot of American say lawmakers say, what are you doing blasting music into Cuba? How does that help us? That's just a big waste. It's actually not. Not if it's banned. If it's banned, it means the regime fears it. So it's an investment there. Does all of this, could you say that it speaks to the fragility of the regime if all it takes is exposing some ruler's kids to Kanye West or something, and then that could ultimately lead to the overthrow. Invite the kids to Sunday service with Kanye. Right. And Does that, he still do that? I don't even know. I think how subversive that is, right? Because you've got the old Kanye West values, and then the Kanye West church values, which clash amongst themselves. Yeah, but think people don't how, know what to do with it. Think about the Hollywood types and the, the sort of music elite types who hate any kind of Christian values at mm-hmm. all, and then all of a sudden Kanye West... I can't even say it with a straight face, so I'm glad this is just a podcast. But, <laughs> you know, ends up being what a preacher, and and right. was it real or was it not? I don't know. I but, don't know. But, but he, if it if it brought people to receive a a better message, mm-hmm. great. But that's a great example of subversion, just looking at it clinically. Right. But it also wasn't intention. Well, maybe it was. Who knows what Kanye was thinking? But let's say it was a sincere thing. He wasn't thinking, I'm going to subvert everybody by being a bad rapper, you know, like a typical rapper and then change into, you know. But it's a way of just looking, look at it just at the technique of it. It's a way of getting a message, which is a Christian message, to an audience that would never, ever, ever be receptive to that message. Mm -hmm. That itself is subversion, which gets back to your point, Morgan, about is subversion bad or good or moral or immoral? For all we know, Kanye West might be a virtuous subverter. I would, maybe. I guess anything's possible. It's hypothetical. I'm giving right. him the benefit of the doubt. <laughs> but even if you, so sometimes subversion can just be unintentional. You're not going out of your way to change the minds of people then. Well, you are if you're a preacher. Yeah, but uh, yeah, b- people become agents of subversion without realizing it. They repeat something they like. They denounce something they don't like. They anathematize something that they don't, and they they isolate a person or a cause or a word or something. They're not conscious agents of any subversion. They're just speaking their minds. But that's the power of subversion is when you can persuade others to act without knowing that they're acting in your interests. That's that's the multiplier effect that, that good subversion has. And it's because it's tapped into something else whether it's an insecurity or something that makes it live on without having to like encourage it. Yeah. Like some comedians actually use the word subversion that they say that, uh, that you know, Orwell, I think it said that uh, every, every joke is an act of resistance or something to that effect. Mm. And so humor is really subversive because it's worse to be laughed at than to be attacked for many people. Right. Because if you're attacked, it implies that you have power but if you're laughed at it means you're so irrelevant you, you know it's not you're not feared right so so once you're you're a political figure and people are attacking you or protesting you outside or even trying to kill you that that can make you stronger mm-hmm. but if people start laughing at you right like winnie the, the pooh the, the, yeah or even like like president biden complained to reporters the other day where he was going across America and seeing people dropping the F-bomb at him. Now, they weren't laughing at him, but it was the same effect. They were showing contempt for him. His big mistake was even to acknowledge that because now what did he do? He jazzed them up by saying, he's paying attention to us. He actually saw us. This message is actually getting across. Thing is, it's a message that's too vulgar for, for a lot of Americans to repeat especially older ones where you can't popularize it that much or say it on broadcast TV. But the fact is that it, it's, a, it's a message that's getting across and it has a subversive effect with the viral way through which it was distributed. So you know, right. do we even know who originated that campaign? Right. And humor, it's funny because it's true. So it's yeah. an enjoyable way to point out something everyone already knows, but it either can't say 
unless it's a joke or but it's enjoyable so you want to share it or yeah yeah it, even in the soviet days this wasn't the real name but there was a soviet comedian named yakov smirnov and there was what he called it a department of jokes <laughs> and it really existed in the soviet sure communist it party it wasn't quite called that but that's what it amounted mm-hmm. to where they would censor all the jokes and comedians would have to present all their jokes to the censors to approve or disapprove uh, for for political purposes right. inside the USSR, and then if you ran afoul of the authorities, your jokes would be run past the Department of Jokes to see if it was really against the party line or oh my not. Gosh. Yeah, so he defected to the United States, but he and he made jokes about the Department of Jokes. So once you're a Soviet comedian making fun of the KGB, you know the KGB's days are numbered, or yours yeah. are. One of one of you is going to go. Right. Yeah, you don't want to test drive yeah. a joke on Stalin, probably. No, although he loved a good joke. Yeah, but... But his joke was like laughing after he just sent one of his buddies to be executed. Right, he was a sick, twisted yeah. psychopath. Even Hitler had a sense of humor. It was a weird... Doesn't come across. No, no, but <laughs> people who knew him said that he he had a sense of humor. It was just really awkward and people felt like they had to laugh because yeah. he was the Fuhrer. Uh, I, I met uh, a man who twice, he'd been an associated press reporter in the 1930s. He had two sit-down interviews one-on-one with Hitler. Was that when, like, was it scary to do that, or was it just before? It was just before World Mm -hmm. War II. It's when American journalists could still be there. And he said that Hitler made these weird attempts at at almost self-deprecating humor. Hmm. He didn't try to come across as the all-powerful Fuhrer. He did in the very beginning of the interview, but after he relaxed a little bit, he'd say what were oddly, you know, by Hitler standards, funny, funny things. It's strange to talk Weird. about now, but I remember his name was Richard Helms, the guy who mm. interviewed Hitler, and he became CIA director many years later. Wow. So, so you have, you know, even the worst tyrants in the world have, can have a certain form of, you know, weird or sick right. sense of humor, but, and some of them will use that. Um, but they also so, have insecurities. And yes. if, if you point out something as pathetic as being afraid of Winnie the Pooh, it just makes it makes them it humanizes them and makes them seem vulnerable yeah, yeah. it just des- it destroys a lot of fear that they rely on for legitimacy right yeah the british got hold of hitler's um doctor's records in, in world war one mm-hmm. somehow they got a hold of it and the british had songs for, it was to boost their own morale in the british army in world war ii now that hitler is known and they had, I'm not going to look at Morgan while I'm saying this. And this part of the lyrics went, Hitler only has one ball, even that one's very small. And it would go on. And I was sure enough, Hitler had a, apparently was missing one or it was undescended or something. And he had a severe inferiority complex about it. Doesn't surprise me. So the OSS did two psychological, psychosexual profiles of Hitler to mm. see what could be done to undermine him internally and among his own people. And it, they, and the British had assisted with one of them but so when you when you get that far into somebody's psyche you can have a big subversive effect on them as well as the british had tried to do with hitler and putin's kind of the same way yeah you've that's read, a different you've written thing. a profile about yeah that. you guys can read it but i'm not going to talk about it now matt will link it in the yeah. post but and that's not really well that is actually subversive because putin has banned certain memes about himself like memes that you've made of him no i didn't make them i just copied them from oh, okay yeah and the one of putin makeup is banned in, in drag, Russia. yeah in front of a rainbow flag yeah he has a he, hates he has a that. fixation with that and and there are there are real reasons going back to his teenage years for that which was why he was never allowed to become a foreign intelligence officer he was only domestic political yeah person. he he was not a spy he was a paper pusher yeah working for the thug part of the agency not right. the cool spy part of the agency right so so when you when you and this would get into psychological profiling of foreign leaders and why it's so important for an intelligence service to be another to dark have, art <laughs> so, then you can get into there what this gets back to mean girls yeah it does right? Uh, you get into the inferiorities and the infirmities and the worries and the fear and paranoia and and the falseness you know that everybody has to one degree or another mm-hmm. and you find ways to exploit that and you can you can either uh, get that individual target to do what you want done or you can marginalize that person for good or cause that person even better cause that person to self-destruct by overreacting 
that's subversion and aimed at aimed at an individual. But you can do it at a society at large, like we just talked about. So if someone just shows that they're vulnerable to a rainbow flag of them with makeup on, then that could maybe just show that they are susceptible you, to being subverted in the first place. You could flood their Twitter account with that meme, for example, right? Right, which which has been done for yeah. Putin, and then yeah. because even though it's banned, I don't think that. Maybe that's what caused the image to get banned. Because you can control that in your own country, but if you can't... Yeah, these were actually protesters in the streets with big mm. banners of it. But uh, yeah, he had a... Now, he he wasn't as bad as Xi Jinping is about Winnie the Pooh because it didn't become a worldwide joke. Right. But imagine if it if it had. So there are, there are ways to fight back. Individuals can do this. Private sector can do it much better than governments can do it. What if a what would it, okay? If you were president and you knew Xi Jinping was coming to visit the White House, like what if you just had a little Winnie the Pooh bobblehead on your desk with never said a word about it, never mentioned it, but just as kind of like a, a secretive screw you? Well, that's a pretty big one in terms of protocol and and everything, and the, and the president has to take responsibility for that. So that could be one idea. But what if? your own supporters had a protest outside the White House with those Winnie the Pooh things. Because mm, then you could be like, oh, I'm so sorry. This is a free country. Yeah. I can't control that. <laughs> no, this is the way people are. And then lining Pennsylvania Avenue as Xi Jinping's motorcade is coming down there with Winnie the Pooh stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are ways to do that and, and still have that effect. He's going to see them. Like perhaps especially before a negotiation or something, just because yeah. it would screw with his head. Yeah, but this is sort of straying away from subversion. This is more psychological warfare. Mm. Because you're not getting Xi Jinping to change his values and his attitude about himself, no, and about the way he runs his country. But so that's not that's psychological warfare as opposed to subversion. So subversion, making a country, institution, or a person change their ideas and beliefs in a way that is helpful to you and or causes chaos. Yeah, to break their morale, mm-hmm. to change their attitudes. I mean, think of the decline in say Christian values in western society. So there always has to be a negative so it always has to be a negative thing, like a breakdown of belief. There's not like a positive even if they change the belief and it's not necessarily inherently negative, it's not subversion. If you're the target, you'd consider it subversion. Mm, okay. Uh, since the dark arts are dark by by their name, darkness is considered <laughs> subversive or, or bad. Right. Uh, then, then it's that way. So, so no, it's being uplifting and promoting, you know, good values and good living and charity and kindness and goodness. To to bad guys, that's subversion. Yeah. But to normal people, no, that's it's not subversion. But in this case, uh, if you have um, the dark side. You know, not to sound like. Star Wars, but the Force, which is good, and the Dark Side, which is bad. Mm-hmm. But the Dark Side actually has a name that shows that it's darkness and sinister. Right. So, no, so you, so there is really no um, like propaganda mm-hmm. can be good or bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, psychological warfare can be done for good purposes or evil purposes. In, in fact, many of our psychological operations people in the U.S. Special Operations Forces are there to help our side to buck up their spirits. Mm. Buck with me. Help their spirits and uplift them. And th- You guys can win, meaning a positive psychological effect like a coach would be. Okay. You can win. But imagine if you got a coach to make his team think they were losers, that they couldn't win, that they couldn't play, that nobody liked them. This just made me think the popular show Ted Lasso kind of the spoiler premise is that the owner of this soccer team FC Richmond her husband like cheats on her or whatever and then she hires this guy Ted Lasso who is a football coach in the United States knows nothing about soccer and the idea was to bring him into this team and destroy it from within by hiring such a joke of a coach so women are great it's a version there you go yeah, women are better generally at, mm-hmm. at at subversion. But Matt, back to your point, that's a great example of subversion. Um, but is he so enthusiastic to, that he's good at it? Is that the thing? I don't know. I, haven't I don't it. want to spoil it, but essentially, yes. Okay. okay. But yeah, but if you have a coach that's planted in there to demoralize the team, that's perfect subversion. Even not on purpose. He thinks he's just doing a job. But he's having a subversive effect, even right. though that's not his intent. So, so he wouldn't be a conscious subverter. But whoever's behind him would be, or at least his effect would have a subversive effect to benefit the other team. So you don't even need to 
know or intend to be a subversive, mm-hmm. to be a subversive. But we generally don't think of it that way. We generally think of subversion as something that is sponsored and organized in a fashion designed right. to have this negative effect. But it's hard to define because you do, it's not like a plot that everyone has to have buy-in and be involved and know about everything going on. Right. Because you don't need them to necessarily. And it's, if Just it's think done, of gossip, right? Yeah, and if it's done well, it's hard to point out. Right. But or gossip or humor, people just want to repeat it because it's fun and it's mm-hmm. cool and it gets a reaction and people pay attention and it gets better with every retelling, right? Right. Hopefully. So that's the viral effect and subversion, good subversion, well done, meaning good in terms of the professionalism of it mm-hmm. that's well done is going to have that viral effect too. Thank you for listening to today's show. Not Cleared is a project of the Center for Security Policy. We want to hear from you, so please email us at questions at notclear.org so we can get in touch with you.